Just to kind of set the scene, we, like as Cam said, we're sort of doing backwards. We're starting from the end, and we're going to finish with the start, right? Uh, it's a bit w- strange way of doing it, but that's uh, what we decided to do. Uh, and, and last week, I guess to kind of set you a bit of a foundation, we, we, there was this reflection towards the end of chapter 3 of James, this idea of having peaceful relationships. And now what you're about to experience is the total opposite of peaceful relationships. And so this evening, what I want us to consider is two things. Firstly, I want us to consider the heart of conflict. So that's verses 1 to 7 if you have your Bible. Uh, and then the second thing I want us to consider is the humble solution, verses 6 to 12. And so before we jump into it, I'm going to pray for us. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you have, know every single soul here tonight. Uh, you have a purpose for us being here tonight. Uh, whoever we are and whatever journey we in spiritually, we pray that through your spirit, through your word, you would make our hearts come alive. Jesus, pray that you will reveal yourself for your glory in your name. Amen. Uh, so as I was sharing with you, we're going to start with this idea of the heart of conflict in verses 1 to 7. Uh, so James jumps straight into it. He begins with verse 1 and says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that it is your passions are at war within you? Uh, He doesn't want to wait for an answer. What he's doing right here, right now, is what's known as a rhetorical question. Uh, He's straight up asking them, Hey guys, what's the reason you've got all these arguments and fights going on in your churches? Uh, And the language is pretty strong. The way that he's describing it is actually war. It's not just like a little argument, like when my kids, when they have an argument at home over whose toy that is, and then someone whacks somebody else. Uh, It's like real heartfelt hate for one another. The language James uses, he describes it as like war, there's battle, strife. And then he wants to ask the question though, where is it coming from? Why are you doing this? Why is this happening? And then he uses language of passions that are war within you. Uh, the imagery that James is writing is, if you can imagine, a soldier going out to war, and this soldier is trying to gain ground. That is your heart, your very being. And the way that he's going to do that, he's going to do whatever he can to gain that heart, to conquer it. And in this language that James is using is that the passions at war are doing whatever it can to get what it wants. Consider murder, envy, fight. It's pretty confronting words. And later on you see in verse 2, you desire and do, do not have, so you murder. And this is the language then in verse 3 says, you ask and you do not receive. It's an interesting thing to say really. For one minute, he's saying, hey, you guys, what's going on? Where is this coming from? Why are you murdering? Why are you coveting? Why are you fighting? Why are you quarreling? And he says, because there's passions within you. And if you can imagine this picture, it's like almost like a church community. And they're having these arguments with each other and one another. And they want to make sure this is a spiritual thing. And what they're doing is they're saying to God, God, please sort this fight out. But James says to them, your posture, your reasoning why you're asking is actually wrong. The way that you're praying and asking questions is actually self-centered. 
You're actually not thinking about others. You're thinking about what you want. Now, you might be thinking, wow, awesome. I'm glad I came here tonight. Confronting words on a Sunday night. But we know this, right? On this side of heaven, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will face conflict. If you don't follow Jesus, if you don't believe him, I'm guessing you've faced conflict in some way or another. We will all face conflict. That is the reality. But it depends how you deal with conflict will depend on what's really going on inside of you in your heart. And that's where the engine room is. So when conflict arises, what is our response? James in this moment is not trying to hide anything. He's confronting these groups of churches that he's writing to, mainly men out of Jewish Christians. And he wants to make it very clear to them. The conflict that's going on, there's an engine room. There's something that's burning, this desire to be winning, to be at conflict, something that's driving all of this. In summary, what he's talking about is a word called pride. Pride is the engine room. Pride is the reason why this conflict is happening. This pride is what wants to win all the time. This pride is what says, I want to take, I want, it's mine. I have a right. When we feel like we haven't got our rights, it feels unfair. Injustice. And this is what James is tackling in these passages as he's engaging with this church. Now, this is true in us, in this culture that we live in. The great uh, pop theologian, affectionately known as Tay-Tay, puts it like this. Band-Aids don't fix bullet holes. It's up here on the screen. You say sorry just for show. You live like that, you live with ghosts. You forgive, you forget, but you never let it go. And she repeats the verse again. And it says, cause baby, now we've got bad blood. You know it used to be mad love. So take a look what you've done. Cause baby, now we've got bad blood. Hey. <laughs> Every time I choose these songs, I think, why am I doing this anyway? Now we've got problems and I don't think we can solve them. You made a really deep cut. And baby, now we've got bad blood. See, it's a common song. I'm sure you've heard it on the radio. You can turn it off the screen, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> There's a conflict happening. It's a relationship conflict between Tay-Tay and uh, her boyfriend or whoever it is. But there's bad blood. Uh, there's not willing to compromise. There's not willing to deal with the conflict. But there's something driving this. Uh, using biblical language, I think it's pride. That's the heart of conflict. At what drives conflict. James used even further stronger language. He responds to them and he says to them and he accuses them of being a particular kind of people. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, so if you see in verse 3 where he talks about them uh, doing, uh, in verse 3 they say, you know, you, you want to ask but you don't receive because you're all concerned about your own passions. Then in verse 4 he calls them what? You adulterous people. How's that for a Sunday morning service? And the pastor get up, gets up there and says, You adulterous people! Encouraging, eh? Now, that sounds pretty full on. 
what James is saying, and you unpack that in the verse as he reads it. He says to them, don't you know friendship of the world's enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Big, full-on language. James is unpacking for this group of churches that he's writing to. In that moment when you choose to have a fight, in that moment where you're far more desiring to do your own thing, and ultimately it's all about you and what you gain, your desires come first. In that moment as you respond to pride, what you're really saying also in another way is, hey, my relationship with God is optional. Because I'm now being a friend like what's happening in the world. Uh, in using our modern day language, it's like having a friend with worldly benefits that ultimately meets my selfish needs. The language that James used in biblical language, the story of the Bible, is nothing new. If he's writing to Jewish Christians, the language of an adulterous group of people would have twigged something for them. It's the story of the Bible when the people of Israel, when they turned away from worshipping the God that they were called to worship, and they worship idols, God would call them adulterous. It's the same language that James is doing, saying in that moment when you choose to be friends with the world in the way that you relate with one another, as you commit yourself to pride, you're becoming friends to the world and you're becoming enemies of God. It's a pretty big deal. It's a serious accusation and he's calling them out for their relational issues in those churches. If you want to see what the opposite of it is, we actually covered it a few weeks ago. As I mentioned in James 3, if you want to get a sense of what James is talking about, what is the opposite? In James 3 it says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. The harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is what it should look like. The opposite is pure. The opposite is peaceable. The opposite is gentle. The opposite is open to reason. Not trying to win the argument. The opposite is full of mercy. And there's fruit being produced through that. It's impartial and sincere. An ultimate goal is actually not to win the fight. The ultimate goal is for peace. That's what James says it's the better picture. And to even further, as he describes to them about them being adulterous in verse 4, and then he says to them that anyone who's a friend of the world is an actual enemy of God. And there's a reason for that. Verse 5 says, Do you suppose there's no purpose that the Scripture says? He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He may dwell, uh, to dwell in us. Now, there's a few things going on. There's a few versions on what that could be. But at the heart of it, whether if you read it as uh, it's your inner self, it's the Spirit that God has given you, that your inner self, that God has given us to actually do the things that is according to what God wants, or it's the Spirit of God that is jealous and wants you to pursue the things of God, Either way, at the very heart of it, it's ultimately saying you're not doing what God has designed you to do. 
you're actually giving in to what the world wants you to do. It's a very contrast kind of picture. And what he's wanting them to do is come back. See, the heart of any conflict, if you really kind of draw it out bit by bit, over time, the engine room often is pride and self-centeredness. And this is a particular message for those of us who are followers of Jesus, because in that moment when we give in to that, we forget who we are. We forget who we belong to. That we are actually first followers of Jesus. And that should be the engine room that should cause us to act in a very total different way. See, in that moment when you and I choose to be prideful, when you and I choose in a conflict to think more about what is our, uh, how we're going to win this, we're actually forgetting something. We're forgetting who God is. And we're forgetting who we are. See, in that moment, when we're desiring more for what we want, there's sort of almost like a reondration of worship. What do I mean by that? In that moment, we're choosing to worship something else. Ultimately, ourselves, rather than God. Our English pastor and author, a guy called Rico Twice, puts it this way. When we worship an idol, we turn God into a divine waiter. He's there to deliver our daydream to us. We touch base with him on a Sunday. We put our order via prayer. We might even give him a decent tip in the collection plate. But God is essentially there to give us what we feel we need, our idol. And we get furious with him if he doesn't deliver. This is what happens when there is a misunderstanding of worship. And this is why James wants to make it very clear, and he uses an Old Testament quote from Proverbs chapter 3. God's desire is to give more grace, but it's very clear. When we're proud rather than humble, this is the reality. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, when pride and proudness takes over, what happens is the person becomes totally blind. We become blind Do you know what we become blind to? That we're at war with the creator of the universe. Not a human being. The creator of the universe. The one who said, let there be light and there was light. That's who we are opposing. That's who's opposing us. And in that moment also in pride, we are missing out on experiencing God's grace as we humble ourselves. So, that's the heart of conflict. The heart of conflict is pride. Now, this idea of pride is very, very countercultural in the Aussie culture. How many times have you heard the term Aussie pride? We actually value it as a culture. We hold it as a big deal. So it's actually counter-cultural, but pride is a sin in the Bible. And if we're followers of Jesus, that will, that's what we listen to. Uh, there's, to unpack a bit more about what pride is, uh, there's a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards. He was a pastor, he was a great writer, a great preacher, actually. And he talks about pride in this way. There's a quote up here. Pride is the first sin that ever entered into the universe and the last that is rooted out. 
It's God's most stubborn enemy. Pride is much more difficult to be discerned than any other corruption because of its very nature. That is, pride is a person having too high of an opinion of himself or herself. Is it any surprise then that a person who has too high of an opinion of himself or herself is unaware of it? That's, in a sense, a great definition of pride. Now, that's the heavy news. That's the heart of conflict. The heart of conflict is driven by pride often. So there is hope, friends. But before we go to the hope, I want us to consider some questions. What I want to do is, before we sort of finish off with verses 7 to 12, I want us to consider these questions I want to ask you. They're up here on the screen. In a situation of conflict, are you desiring peace or do you like conflict? Are you wanting to win the argument? When in conflict, do you desire what you want and it's about what you get or is it about what God wants? Particularly if you're a follower of Jesus. In the moment of conflict, are you and I being proud? It leads out to things like, we're not very quick at apologizing. But if you did this, but... We're tempted to gossip. It comes in different forms. There are also those of us who hate conflict and we avoid because we do not want to deal with it. Some of us, in the moment of conflict, may feel sort of sorry for ourselves. There's a self-pity. In the moment of conflict, to test if it's pride driving, is when we pray, do we actually pray for God's will to be done? Or do we really just saying, as James talks about, it's about my will? In a conflict, have you actually said Sorry without any remark afterwards. No, not like, you know, like my, recently my youngest came up to me uh, and he had a fight with his sister and he said to, I said to him, okay, what do you need to say, to say to your sister? I'm sorry, but you took my toy. That's not really a sorry. Just sorry. Have you said sorry to God? Have you said sorry to that person? I just want you to look at those questions for a few seconds and then we'll move on and see what God's saying to you. Lord Jesus, as we reflect on these questions, if there's anything there that you want us to act on, would you help us? Amen. So friends, like I said, there is hope. And James actually unpacks that for us in verses 7 to 12. And there is an actual humble solution. There's an actual humble solution. And James doesn't actually sort of take his foot off the accelerator. He keeps on pushing even further in. He says in verses 7 to 12, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 
Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save, to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You might be sitting there thinking, Shabu, didn't you say about hope? There is, friends, there's humble hope. That is the humble solution that God provides through his word. James doesn't hold back. It's very confronting but very encouraging. He says to them, hey, to receive grace, to receive forgiveness, it begins with realizing a few things. First, in verse 7, you need to submit. You need to say, God, I submit to you. In other words, in verse 7, he's like saying, hey, you need to give up your stance and thinking that you've got it right, and you actually have to give up your rights, your rights to Jesus. He's the one who has the right rights. And this moment when he says that uh, if you are going to submit to that, in that moment as you submit... You're actually then moving him further in. You're actually now saying, I'm going to oppose, I'm going to resist the devil. It's this language is to say that in this moment of conflict, whenever, whatever conflict you might be and I might be in, when we give ourselves to the things of this world, what, what's really going underneath all of that is a spiritual battle. The devil does not want you to submit to Jesus. And so this is why you and I are called in verse 8 to draw near to God. It's an action and picture of submission as we draw near to him. What happens is God doesn't stand far away. He doesn't say, well, I'm done with you. He says, I'm going to draw near to you. As we draw near to a holy God, the response should be, oh God, I've stuffed up, please forgive me. And he does by cleansing hands, heart, and mind. And he says to this church that he's writing to, and you kind of get a sense maybe that's what was going on in that church. And maybe they weren't taking sin so seriously. Maybe they weren't taking to the reality that as they are in conflict, as there's worldliness coming into their church community, as they sort of just doing whatever they want, they weren't taking sin seriously. So that's why I think James says to them, be wretched and mourn and weep. In other words, they're maybe taking grace cheaply and they're laughing about it james says to them hey you need to cry you need to lament you need to feel the weight of this and then in verse 10 it says humbles yourselves before the lord and he will exalt you you know what i'm so thankful for verse 10 it's a beautiful picture of god's grace here is a god who is willing to be gracious as people are willing to humble themselves, and he will exalt them. It's a total picture, total contrast to our culture. Like I was saying to you, the Aussie culture talks about Aussie pride, and there's no other place than in the sporting world. How Australians are very big on how good they are at every sport. But in our culture in general, we hold pride in great high esteem. The biblical language is countercultural. It's total opposite. It says, humble yourselves, know your place, and God will exalt you, because that's who he is. That's how gracious he is. 
The motivation of turning back to God is not like a sense of self-loathing, I'm such a bad person idea, no. What drives a person to respond to God and his grace is his grace himself. So if you and I want to understand how to kill pride, if you and I want to understand how to be kill self-justification or in that moment of dealing with conflict, because conflict will come wherever you are, how to deal with it in humility, it begins by you and I looking to the one who's been very humble. See, at the very heart of pride, uh, what happens is pride ultimately blinds us and we are far more interested in our own agenda and pleasure. But you know what? Conflict is not something that all of a sudden rocked up in, in James chapter 4. Conflict began a long time ago. Conflict actually began in the story of the very first few chapters of the Bible. Conflict began when the first humans turned around to God and said, you know what, God, we're not going to live under your loving authority. And then pride invades into their hearts. You know how? Rather than turning to God who says, hey, what's going on? They turn around and the woman says, hey, uh, it was not my fault, the snake. The man who should have protected his wife turns around and says, oh, actually, it wasn't me. It was the woman. Oh, actually, it wasn't. Actually, ultimately, it was you. You're the, it's your fault. There's no confession, no repentance. And that has corrupted every human being. Yet God, in his mercy, sends Jesus Christ, the perfect one. The one, all of his life while he was on this earth, set aside his will to do the Father's will. The one who went to the cross. The one who the Apostle Paul writes about in Philippians 2.8, being formed in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have this perfect picture of a Savior who was humbled and the Father exalted him. And that is the call for anyone who is a follower of Jesus. This is a picture for you and I, if you believe in Jesus, to come to Jesus constantly and consistently with all our issues of conflict. That is a constant reminder to you and I, we still need Jesus. In whatever season of life you're in, as we come before him, humble ourselves before him, and he will exalt us. And then James finishes off. Just in case, to make sure he covers all his bases, he says, don't speak evil against one another, brothers. And he talks about judging his uh, other brothers, and he talks about evil against the law and judges the law. And then he says, but if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. He asks the question, but who are you to judge your neighbor? It's in this moment of almost like James is driving him further to this Christian community to say, hey, who are you to turn around to somebody else and think you're better than them? Who are you to judge if they're keeping up with the commands of God? Another way to put it, I'm sure you haven't done this. Sadly, I must confess to you, I've done this. That moment when someone posts something on Facebook and you go, ooh, are they even Christian? Or when they put something on their Insta story 
What are they doing? Where are they? What are they drinking? Are they a Christian? Or in that moment when uh, we have an argument and, and all we do is we pull out the Bible verses and whack them left, right, left, right. Do you know what the Bible says? Do you know what the Bible says? Do you know what the Bible says? We become the law and the judge. And James pointly asks them, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? He reminds them again, there is only one. In verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. In other words, he's saying there's only one. His name is Jesus. The one who both saves the prideful sinners and the one who also saves those who are not obeying his commands. Either of those people need a saviour. And there is only one who is righteous enough to be judge, and that is Jesus Christ. And his judgments are always right, unlike ours. Friends, at the heart of conflict is pride. And the solution for this is humility. That can all be found by looking to the one who is our humble saviour. The one who is willing to humble himself. And so then he calls, if you belong to Jesus, to humble yourself to him. So what does that mean? If you don't know Jesus, that's where it first begins. Now, I can give you a list of rules on how to be humble, but friends, if you do not know Jesus first, the first port of call is this. You need to know Jesus. Because I don't know if you realize this, if you do not know Jesus, you are actually in a conflict right now. You're in conflict with the creator of the universe. You have said to him, I will not live under your loving rule. I will do my own thing. I will live under my own authority. Jesus maybe might be calling you tonight to humble yourself and seek him. Christian friends, who is God actually asking you to forgive tonight? A family member? Someone in this church? When was the last time when you messed up that you grieved over sin? Not just sort of said, oh, God's forgiven me, but sort of said, you know what, Lord? I'm really sorry. Christian friends, do we take sin seriously? There are some of us who take sin too seriously. And so, friend, I'm telling you, do you accept God's grace seriously? Or do you abuse it or think it's not for you? Grace is both for Christians and non-Christians. In the social media world, as you put posts up, are you thinking about, is this about reflecting God and what he's done? Or is it about building up that pride? Have you really accepted God's grace, no matter what season you're in? So before uh, the music, I'm going to invite the music team to come up now. Uh, They're going to come and lead us in the last song. Uh, Before they play, uh, I just want you to do some business with Jesus. Um, I just feel like there's some of us here who are right in the midst of some of this conflict. And I just want you to do some business with Jesus tonight, uh, particularly through his word, uh, maybe in this song. Uh, Maybe you need to ask someone to pray for you. 
Uh, we as a pastoral team, uh, I've got Nathan who's up here at the front. Nathan, can you wave your hands, mate? John who's up the back there. John, can you wave your hand next? Thanks, mate. And myself, and if there's a friend here who knows Jesus, uh, we want to help you resolve conflict well. And so uh, I want you to give you a few minutes to do that now, and then I'm going to ask uh, Ethan to lead us in the last song. Um, Lord Jesus, as we um, sit here quietly, I pray that you would reveal to us if there's pride that we need to just confess. Lord, only through your spirit are we able to be truly humble. God, if there's conflict happening right now uh, with people here, would you help us to resolve it? There are those of us who are in conflict with you. Would you change hearts tonight? As we sing this last song, Lord, pray that we will come to you with all these things. In your mighty name, amen.